0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times that, with your AEW Double or Nothing and NXT Battleground Instant Reaction. That's right. Getting Over is back once again. It is Sunday night after Double or Nothing and Battleground Went off the air. The Silver King is here. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along momentarily, and we're gonna break down everything that happened across AEW and NXT with their head-to-head shows on Sunday night. We are not wasting any time at the start of the show, folks. Let me remind you that this podcast is all about defiance. So leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple. Leave a five-star review. If you do, we'll read it right here on the show. Please also remember. I happen to love the number five. Please become an official Getting Overhead. Subscribe for $5 a month. Buymeacoffee.com slash Over. You get news posts, bonus audio, and you can support the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only for episode drops, news analysis highlights, all that good stuff. You get to join in our live shows on Twitter spaces and vote in our pre and post show polls, the results of which you will hear on this podcast. Chris, welcome to the show. I think this was my fastest intro in three years of doing this podcast. Happy to have you here. We watched AEW Double or Nothing. I watched the entirety of NXT Battleground, and we both got to see the finale of Succession on HBO. Quite a night altogether. Are you ready to do this?
1: Yes. Don't worry. No spoilers here in Succession until maybe at the end. We'll see where we go. But uh, spoiler-free zone on that. But yes, what a long long night it has been.
0: If we have time, we will do a succession instant reaction at the very end of the show. We'll give a spoiler alert on that. Don't worry. Okay. As I said, we are getting right into the instant reaction. Before we begin, a quick reminder, we have timestamps in the episode description. So if you're only watching one show and listening to the podcast and you don't want to get spoiled by the other, check the description, find the timestamp. You can jump around to AEW or NXT, but at some point, I hope you listen to the entire show. Chris, let's kick things off with AEW Double or Nothing from Las Vegas. I believe it was a nine-match main show card, plus a buy-in. We're going to get to all of it right now. And again, once we finish with this, we'll have NXT Battleground on the back end. We'll kick off with the main event of the show, a surprising main event, at least for me. The Elite Against Blackpool Combat Club, Anarchy in the Arena. Justin Roberts did the shit's about to hit the fan deal again. BCC came out to Wild Thing, played live by some... Extremely odd dude in a black mask. I don't know if they even announced the band. Maybe they did. Uh, the elite met them in the crowd as the bell rang. The music continued playing for like five, seven minutes, probably longer, until the Young Bucks super kicked the singer who was wearing a BCC shirt. Hangman pulled off his eye patch and took out a screwdriver. They choreographed four super kicks and Tope Suicidas. John Moxley was, of course, the first to blade. I hope you won money on that. Don Callis jumped on commentary. Mox and Omega both used barbed wire casino chip. Uh, Mox stabbed him repeatedly with a fork. Brian Danielson ripped apart Nick Jackson's bleeding forehead. Mox then licked Nick's blood off his own hand. Claudio Castagnoli pile drove Matt Jackson into the bed of a pickup truck. Omega used a trash can lid like he was Captain America. Uh, Matt returned and hit Mox in the face with an exploding super kick that was cool looking, but also random, and it didn't result in anything. Like he wasn't blinded or burnt. It was just something that happened. Uh, hangman hit Wheeler Yuta with buckshot lariat in a broken fall. Mox did an atomic drop on a barefoot Matt with his foot going into the thumbtacks. That was followed with Death Rider for a kickout false finish. Then he hit Nick with an RKO into the tacks. They exchanged finishers with Danielson doing his first real wrestling in a long time. BCC then fed Matt thumbtacks and he ate a European uppercut, spitting them out of his mouth. Omega and Page teamed up for Deadeye and One Winged Angel on Brian for a broken fall. Then they hit a sequence on Yuta. Callis left commentary and handed Yuta a screwdriver. He drilled Hangman, but Omega got him up for one-winged angel when he just stopped for some reason and put him down. He turned around to face Kallus. Maybe Don was yelling at him. That's probably why, but I didn't pick that up. Uh, he faced Kallus, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Konosuke Takeshka ran in, catching Omega with a jumping knee. Yuta then popped Kenny with a screwdriver and put him in the seatbelt for the BCC victory. Callis removed his belt and strangled Omega as Takeshka got in his face. So, Chris, I was candidly really annoyed as hell at the first 10 minutes of this match. But once we got past the bullshit and the wild thing stuff, it absolutely and completely banged. It's probably going to get five stars from you know who. I couldn't get there Mm. despite much of the match being incredible because of what I already mentioned. I went, I was in the A zone last year, I think, and I'm gonna be there again. 4.5 stars and an A. Maybe at rewatch, I could go to an A plus at 4.75. There were elements I loved, others I liked, others that were super annoying, but we got an excellent match with great creative and storytelling. As we always say, sometimes predictable things are good, and folks, I believe I have that. This was the exact finish I predicted with Callison and Takeshka. It's an excused loss. It created a five-man team. It gave reason for this to move on to blood and guts sooner than later, probably with Kota Ibushi evening the sides with the elite. It all worked. Good storytelling. Damn good match. I just didn't think it was match of the year contender.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody thinks that. It it was a very good match, but in terms of the anarchy and the arenas, stadium stampedes, this might have been the worst one of the group, just Mm. in terms of memorable moments. Um, but, but it was a lot of fun. It definitely picked up toward the end, got a lot better as it went on. The, 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 the guy singing, I don't think that was a mask. I think it was just blackface.
0: No, no, which... no. It was the, the the top half was a mask. The bottom half was black paint with a red streak in the middle.
1: Yeah. Very, very strange. I, you know, it, it was, I think the last Anarchy match where they had a song play for a very long time, they did. it might've been Jericho's theme, I think. So like, that's kind of how. They're starting to just do these, which I actually kind of don't mind. It it, it kind of just keep it gets the intensity going at the beginning. The only thing is, I wish they would just play other songs instead of repeating the same song <laughs> over and over. In this case, Wild Thing. Like, exactly. Just be just be like the, the the house band or something like that while the, while it's going on or something like that. Right. Um. I think the first person to bleed in this match was Rick Knox actually really before uh, mox, before mox oh. yeah before mox did I, i'm pretty sure it was before mox did um
0: i don't know that that counts
1: but uh, sure <laughs> yeah well because we had the over under on the, on the twitter the five minutes before somebody bled i think we all assumed that would be mox um i think it, i think the over hit i think unless i didn't Knox time it we,
0: we will range. go back and time it yeah i didn't have time
1: but yeah mox uh, mox was definitely the over but nox i wasn't sure um the exploding Super kick was cool, but you're right. It didn't end up meaning anything. Uh, the the tax always just kind of grossed me out. Uh, and Mm -hmm. then the barefoot on the tax and mouth tax in the mouth was just, it's a lot for me. I get it, but it's just, it's a bit much for me. Uh, to surprise props to him for understanding the hard cam and understanding how to sell a moment. Because he does this thing, he takes it off, and he turns and he stares for a good, like, five-plus seconds. Because the problem with this match and many AEW matches is that there's just stuff going on at all times. Sometimes there's two big moments happening at once. Commentary can't keep control. By the way, commentary sucked on this show It was really lot. bad. And yeah. I'll, 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 I'll talk about it probably on several matches, but they were horrible. Um, and, and, but, but Takeshka sold that well. And ultimately the right results, it's not really a match. I think I'm going to no. go back and watch again, but it ended up being entertaining. And on a card that was very slow to start, it finished on a high note.
0: Yeah. Like minor spoiler alert. Like I, a lot of this card just wasn't great. And some of it wasn't even good, but the co-main event delivered completely. Yes. And, and this was one of that, um, you know, before we get to the next match, do you agree with this main eventing?
1: Yes, because it was going to destroy the arena. Mm-hmm. You kind of gotta, you kind of gotta throw that on at the end. I, in general, I don't like the the title not main eventing shows, but given this style of match, you kind of had to.
0: I was fine with it, not just for that reason, but for the exact same reason. I was okay with the tag team title match main eventing. WWE United Champions because of the storyline and the finishing sequence. You can't have Takeshka come out and Callis and all them kill Omega and let alone all the other things that you just talked about, the exploding shoe and them tearing apart the arena. And then like take a 20-minute break, clean everything up and say, "Okay, let's have a regular Fatal 4-Way match." Like it just yeah. do- it just doesn't work same as with WWE. You couldn't have that huge bloodline implode segment and then say Okay, let's crown the first world heavyweight champion. It just it doesn't work. They made the right decision. Right, I- I'm with you. I would prefer the world title main eventing, but if there's a match like this and there's a reason, I'm totally okay with it. And at least in this case, the world title co-main evented. Where for WWE, it opened the show. Yeah. They had a reason for that because Seth Rollins had to get out of there. Nevertheless, you know,
1: yeah, it would be. And cool. it's it's pretty clear this will can this will continue as we expected. And I, I I read that um can you know toward the end fans are chanting for Ibushi before they went off the air. And at the end, apparently post broadcast Kenny Omega cut a promo and said that he would be having two non AEW friends, uh, coming to help him at some point. So perhaps that means Ibushi and somebody else. Uh, but I guess we'll see. This will continue as it should. This has been the most entertaining story in AEW right now.
0: Yeah. I don't know why they need two non AEW friends, but, they only need one maybe to make one it five-on-five. Five. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah, a manager and Kodo Abushi possibly to even things out. Yeah, that could play. That makes sense. All right. Let's get to the co-main event, the AEW World Championship, MJF defending against Darby Allen, Jungle Boy, and Sammy Guevara in a fatal four-way, four-pillars match. Now, this was not the main event as expected, and actually, as we were told hours before the show, uh, but Ty Mello came out with Sammy. They held signs announcing her pregnancy. Congrats to them. It was kind of strange to do it during an entrance to a title match he was going to lose, but it did make sense later. Uh, Darby got a vignette where he interrupted an Elvis officiated wedding by beating a guy with an MJF mask and then riding a skateboard on the back of a car after stuffing the dude in it with Elvis driving. Commentary's response to this. Only in AEW. Yeah. That's true. It,
1: yeah, only in AW. Yeah, only in AW will Darby Allen just murder a dude. Apparently, who's not MJF. I'm like, what? It's
0: these vignettes every was, single time. They just it
1: was, it they, was they
0: they just rack my brain on who thinks these are good or entertaining. I, I just don't get it at all. Yeah, Darby
1: came out. I and, did. I did. Li- I did like his entrance. I did like his Elvis uh, gear though. That's what I
0: was gonna say. Yeah, he came out in an Elvis inspired gear, but half of it was painted as a skeleton. That looked sick. Keep the gear. Yes. Ditch the stupid fucking vignettes, please. Uh, MJF then entered last. He got lowered from an elevated throne in his devil mask. He had Hulk Hogan colored, but Ric Flair inspired gear. And I just thought it was really funny. So Sammy announces his wife's pregnant. Darby has the vignette and the look and comes out of the crowd. MJF gets lowered on a throne and Jungle Boy just walks out.
1: Yep. Yeah. It, 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 it illustrated that, you know, He's not on that level. He's just not. Yeah. And, he, and it was treated like that.
0: Uh, so MJF ate a flip over stunner while loudly screaming, what the fuck? He later screamed that Sammy was a quote, fucking idiot, like purposely loud enough both times. So the mic picked it up really odd to do that kind of unnecessary. I, I like cursing myself plenty. Just I don't need it for no reason. It was weird. Uh, Sammy went on an insane hot tag like run with the Spanish fly frog splash on MJF. He came back with one of those turnover pile driver slams on Darby. They used their mentor's moves, all four of them did. The most notable, Jack hitting kill switch and MJF hitting crossroads. MJF grabbed a mic. He told Sammy to lay down and take the money for the baby. Why he needed a mic to say this, I don't know. Uh, But the pregnancy announcement suddenly made sense. Sammy agreed, obviously playing possum. Uh, He got walls of Jericho on MJF with Darby putting Scorpion Deathlock on Jack. Jungle Boy prevented MJF from tapping by catching his arm. Then they did a four-way simultaneous submission with a figure four armbar, ankle lock, and headlock. Then there was a series of four code reds and Canadian destroyers. Darby did a running double clothesline over the barricade. Sammy and Darby did a Spanish fly off the top rope outside into the other two. And big credit to MJF and Jack for getting in position and catching them. Then they did the really stupid slowdown punches, but MJF saved it with eye pokes to all the guys. And then he ate three super kicks. Uh, they helped each other for a Cody cutter, a code red and a running forearm to knock MJF out before exchanging falls themselves in a really creative spot. Jack then took an implant DDT on the crown of his head, which looked dangerous as shit. Darby hit a sixth or seventh or eighth code red on Sammy. MJF stopped coffin drop and nailed him with a top rope avalanche power bomb. MJF low blowed Sammy and put on the ring. Darby used the skateboard on MJF and hit coffin drop. Rather than cover though, He called back to the side headlock takeover and got a broken fall by Jack, which blew them up and they started fighting. Darby went for a coffin drop on him, but MJF slid the title onto Jack's chest, the AEW title. Darby ate that to the back. Then MJF did the side headlock takeover himself for the win in around 30 minutes. I didn't have the time because of the whole situation tonight. Uh, Top tier match, incredibly smart finish to retain the title and protect everyone in the match while again allowing MJF to come out looking like one of the smartest and most devious wrestlers in the game. The wrestling was fantastic, do not get me wrong. The extremely heavy parts of choreography, not just the beginning, but different spots throughout the entire match, it just took away for me some of that suspension of disbelief where you like to think that what you're watching is not overly planned. You know that parts are, but when it's so obvious, to me, that kind of pulls me out of it a little bit. And that is the only reason I'm not going A+. plus. I said it for the last match. You know who is probably going to give this five stars, maybe even more. For me, it's 4.5 stars and an A, which is obviously incredible. And there's a very good chance that I rewatch this and do give it 475A. So on Wednesday show, or Thursday show, I should say, very good chance I change the score. Uh, Credit to the agency here, because there was plenty of psychology and storytelling. This is one I will definitely watch again. They can branch off Darby and Jack from this. And obviously, Chris, MJF and Darby will continue long term, maybe not immediately, but they have plenty more of that
1: story to tell. Yeah, great match. Everybody really stepped up and and held their own in this match, which I think was the big question. Um, Coming in just because MJF is such a bigger star than all of them it was notable that especially early on the three of them were ganging up on mjf and the crowd was uh, booing they were cheering for mjf at, at first by the way crowd also we'll probably talk about it at the end but the crowd was terrible they were up for the yeah. last couple of matches but on the night like historically bad uh aw crowd um the 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 choreograph stuff was a bit much but some of it was pretty cool like the, the 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 three of them doing the pin flipping like that's a thing oh, that's it's yeah. overdone but that was a very cool way to do it mm-hmm. um that that was uh that was fun um the spanish fly off the top rope onto the other guys was a ridiculous spot and uh this is where i got to bring up commentary again because mm-hmm. my god they were horrible in this match first off mjf does his entrance. And Taz and Shivani are just like dismissive of it. Like they laughed, I think, at the beginning they of did. it. Yeah. They're, and they're just like, oh my God, this guy. That is, I don't care if you hate him. You should be hyping him up and telling us why he's so good, why he's the champion, why everybody fears him. You may not like him but he you know does blah 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 like mm-hmm. that's what that's the point of commentary like he like there's they were just so just like annoyed with him to the point where like all right I'm not going to take him as seriously if he's just a jerk you know like that was a real missed opportunity that spanish fly spot it happens and tony shivani just like nonchalantly goes was that a spanish fly into a couple of bodies <laughs> right like what like right. what was that called um so that was very frustrating but uh, in the end, the right guy won. And I think I think everybody looked better coming out of this, which was the goal of the whole feud, the whole um, four pillars thing. I'm going to disagree. Elevate everybody.
0: I'm gonna disagree. Jack.
1: Who do you you think? Who do you think is not as?
0: Jack did not come out looking better. The other three all did. Jack did not. I don't. Yeah, but I don't. But he was never. He wasn't on that level coming in. Well, they. I I don't think they they, look. If you're doing a four pillars match and all these guys are challenging for the title or
1: their champion, they're trying to say he's on that level. He's just not. No, he's not. No, no, he's He's not. not. He's not on their level. But he's still better than he was at the. He still Mm. looks better than he was at the beginning of the story. That's what I was saying. Uh, he has been elevated, not to the same level, I don't but think he so. is higher than he was before. I, I,
0: I don't. I think he's exactly where he was before. I hate yeah. to say it, I do. Seems like a good kid, but anything else?
1: No, I, I think that's, that's uh, also again. Congrats to Sammy and Tay on the child.
0: All right, let's move to Adam Cole against Chris Jericho in an unsanctioned match. Now, Sabu was announced as the special enforcer, which I thought was strange given. He came out on Dynamite specifically to have Adam Cole's back. He was announced by Adam Cole, and it was also kind of repetitive given there was already a special guest referee match on the show. Now, this was initially announced as the opener, but it went on second, so commentary somehow fucked that up. All of JAS was out with Jericho, and both Roderick Strong and Sabu came out with Cole. Sabu hit one of the JAS guys immediately, then he did a chair duel with Jericho, and then he tripped off the top rope, putting a guy through a table. So again, I'm not sure how he was supposed to be an impartial enforcer. And then after this (laughs) happened, we never saw him again. He never came back. He was never part of the rest of the match. (laughs) So eventually they fought one-on-one after this, and no one else, guys-wise, part of J.S. or Cole's crew interfered. Uh, Cole escaped Waltz Jericho by spraying a fire extinguisher. Then he hit Jericho with it. He came back with a code breaker. Jericho threatened Cole with a kendo stick. So then Britt Baker ran down and destroyed Jericho with one. It really was the highlight of the entire match. Soraya ran down Mm -hmm. for the save, but got hit and then chased to the back. Cole ate a chair thrown to his head and fell backwards into a table at ringside. They ended up with a chain, which Cole used to hit Panama Sunrise, kind of. Uh, Then he lowered the boom, wrapped the chain around his knee, and did a second one. And I'm like, okay, that's the finish, right? He pins him. We're done. Everything's great except he didn't go for the count. Instead, he crouched over Jericho, seemingly wrapped the chain around his hand, but I don't think he ever got it on there. And he kept punching him in the head until the referee rang the bell for a stoppage victory. And the crowd went mild. It was straight up dead. Like, it was completely silent after the Britt Baker spot. Baker got a pop. Soraya got a pop, them chasing each other got a pop, and then it was dead. The wrestling was rough. Jericho struggled to keep up with Cole. Cole had to finish the match by throwing believable punches, except he couldn't. They all looked like they didn't even come close to hitting him. Like, I forgot what the match was, but in the early days of AEW, someone did worked punches in a similar fashion and missed all of them. And it was like a big, you know, online hysteria type of thing. These were the same. They were very similar. I think it was someone from Dark Order that did that. But the best thing I can say here is the right person won. Uh, This disappointed massively. I think it was the single most disappointing match of the entire weekend. They ended an unsanctioned match with a referee stoppage. It's not as ridiculous as ending Hell in a Cell with a disqualification. But it's pretty close. I went 2.25 stars in a C with Baker's spot helping. But that may be overrating this match. And Baker coming out to protect her husband, and I do not mind women standing up for men, you know, because it works both ways. But it made it look like Cole was unable to fight his own battle against a much older dude in Jericho, despite them being one-on-one and him not having odds against him. I can't really put that out of my mind in the finish. I may grade this even lower when I rewatch it.
1: Yeah, it was horrible. The, the the beginning was kind of fun, but it was really, it was just a five-on-three match. Like, it, it, again, Sabu wasn't the guest enforcer. He was just on Cole's team, you know, yeah. with him and Roddy Strong. And I think, like, I, I was, the, the Britt Baker part, like, I didn't think that took away from Cole. I liked that part. That was the part, again, they got the biggest yeah, it was reaction cool. from the crowd. It, yeah. made, it, it, it made sense, you know, um, based on the story and everything like that. It, if, the match was bad, but if they had done the pin at the end, I think you can say, "All right, that kind of sucked." But like, Cole got the win. Maybe he can move forward now. Instead, you get that weird, like that finish was like a Vince McMahon era WWE yeah. type of finish. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna throw in uh, referee stoppage, dude! It's an unsanctioned match. <laughs> I don't even know if the referee has that power in an unsanctioned match. Like that was just, you wouldn't bizarre. think so. Yeah. And if, if you're going to do that type of finish, it's gotta be a crimson mask situation that you have to have beaten this person to a bloody pulp. And the referee says, all right, I'm stopping this, mm-hmm. but we didn't get that. And it's also on a, on a card when we had a ladder match coming, when we had anarchy and the arena coming. So like, there were a lot of stipulations in this match, and this was never going to be the most violent thing on the card. It wasn't, and so it ended up just being a letdown.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, Jericho and Soraya later ranted backstage, demanding a tag team match, and then he threw a fireball at some random guy's face. Uh, It was a strange segment. The fireball shit is such an eye roll. Like Sometimes he's this guy, and sometimes he's not. It sucks that this is continuing, but at least it makes sense for them to do a tag team match, and at least they're getting it out of the way Wednesday. I hope after Wednesday, this shit is over. Let's move to the women's championship: Jamie Hader against Tony Storm. Uh, so Britt Baker and Hikaru Shida beat Nyla Rose and Marina Shafir on Rampage. After the bell of that match, we saw the aftermath of an Outcast attack on Jamie Hader, who sold his shoulder. No update was provided, and AEW promoted this match all weekend. So after Storm entered first, Hader was nowhere to be found. She eventually crawled out with. Soraya and Ruby Soho beating on her. They brutalized her shoulder, throwing her into the barricade and steel steps. And then despite all of this, this champion being murdered and just left for dead, they rang the bell. Soraya detached the top turnbuckle in clear view of the referee. He was staring at her. He did nothing about it. After all of this, Baker ran down. Hater ran Storm into the referee, into the exposed turnbuckle. Then... She hit a Urinagi backbreaker for a one point five count, so the ref got distracted again, and Ruby sprayed the green shit in Jamie's face. Hater ate the hip attack for a near fall. Hikaru Shida finally came down, and she helped with Soho. Hater drove Storm into the exposed turnbuckle and hit Haterade, but only for a near fall, so she kicked out of her finisher. Hater then literally ran herself into the turnbuckle because Storm didn't push her. Then she ate Storm Zero to lose the title in, Chris, what I can only describe, as an absolutely atrocious, completely overbooked match. Hater is clearly hurt. How she was even cleared to do this, I will never know. Maybe it was just a pain tolerance thing like Cody Rhodes with his torn pack And let's just say she was cleared and she couldn't have injured herself more doing this. Fine. But doing the beatdown and then having Jamie vacate the title Wednesday, that way fans could see her, but she didn't lose in stupid fashion, would have been more than enough. Doing this, this absolutely convoluted, ridiculous booking with Baker and Sheeta being nowhere ready to help, despite the fact that they know they're in a group faction type of feud, and these people have beat the shit out of their partner over and over again, but somehow they're not ready to help at the drop of a dime. That was absolutely ridiculous. Then you have Hater look like an absolute dolt in the finish. Just terrible in every conceivable way. Not their fault. Hater and Storm because Hater was hurt and Storm did the absolute best she could with the booking. The booking was horrible. The decision making even worse because they've known about Hater's injury for weeks and they could not come up with something better than this. That is completely unacceptable. I went 1.25 stars and a D, but really? Zero point zero. That is one big pile of shit. Nothing redeemable about it. The latter two thirds of haters reign have been a total waste.
1: Well, I'll say it exceeded my expectations just because my expectations (laughs) were like the ground going in. Well, I gave it a
0: D. I didn't give it an F. So, (laughs) I mean...
1: Which was like we like we knew she was hurt, so you're waiting for them to get out of it, and then that they don't. You think, Oh, it's just gonna be a quick squash, and then it wasn't a squash, and we got a match, and it was overbooked like hell, but it kinda had to be in that situation. So, like I gotta split off like like great I gotta split off my thoughts on the match separate from the idea to have the match in the first place, which yes was a problem. But look, Tony Storm got her last title via interim because someone had to step down because of injury. You really don't want to do that again. I get it. So like ultimately, like I thought this was okay. the The final spot with Hater having to run into the turnbuckle was was pretty bad, but it was a it was a clean in the sense that Tony Storm earned the championship this time around. And ultimately, I'm okay with that hater. Yeah, just a lot of momentum that she had winning the title. They just really didn't take advantage of it for a long time. And now she's probably going to be out for a bit, unfortunately. So like it was like, okay, it was better than what I expected because I had very low expectations on this one coming in.
0: You don't always do grades, but what would you grade it if you disagree with me here? I'm just curious.
1: I give it like a C. I give it like a C. Okay,
0: fair enough. Teach their own. Uh, Tag Team Championship FTR defended against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal with Mark Briscoe as the special guest referee. This was third on the show, and it was really old school, like in the best way when I say that. The whole crew was ringside. Jarrett got the figure four leg lock on Cash Wheeler, but Dax Harwood broke it with a flying headbutt. Dax hit Lethal with two German suplexes and a brain buster. Dax hit a superplex and picked Lethal up for a doomsday device. Briscoe ejected Sanjay Dutt for interfering and sat missing too, even though he actually didn't do anything. Dax then ducked as Jarrett slammed a guitar on Briscoe's head, completely knocking him out cold. FTR, of course, at Shatter Machine, with no one there to count. So Aubrey Edwards ran down and ate a guitar shot from Karen Jarrett, who then slipped on sweat that was on the floor, so she fell down. Jay hit a double lethal injection. Dax pile drove lethal, then ate a belt shot and the stroke for a delayed Briscoe count and false finish. Jarrett then pushed Briscoe in the face three times and slapped him. So Mark slapped him back, and FTR hit Shatter Machine for the win and title retention to a babyface pop. FTR then let Briscoe raise the titles himself at one point for a secondary pop. I love the old school aspect of this match, both in the general wrestling and the booking of the finish. Overly convoluted, absolutely. But very similar to plenty of matches like this from back in that era. Aubrey taking the guitar shot, it was a hot moment but it was also completely unnecessary. Like it just it didn't really need to happen, but the fact that she did it obviously was cool and people like her, so I get it. I still cannot believe Karen freaking Jarrett is playing this much of a role in 2023. A lot of the elements were extremely solid. You have to give them credit because the show started extremely weak and they got the crowd going. The crowd was awful all night. We're going to talk about that later when we do our final grades. But they got the crowd to pop. Jeff Jarrett and Karen Jarrett got the crowd to pop in 2023. Um, I didn't completely love the match, but I thought a lot of it was extremely solid, overbooked, but still fun, 3.25 stars in a B.
1: It was fun. It it, it really was. And it's basically the same thing we thought coming in, which was this absolutely should not be a pay-per-view tag team match, but all things considered, they're doing a decent job with it. And Mm -hmm. that's ultimately what this was. It was a lot, but it was... Kind of fun. And it was what it needed to be. If this is not a tag championship match, probably like it even more. I did like, uh, Briscoe getting the camouflage sleeveless referee. Yeah. That that was was a nice touch. Yeah. That was really cool. I'm glad they did that. Um, yeah. What can you say, man, Karen Jarrett's hitting Aubrey Edwards with a guitar. It's going to be a complete mess. The right guys won. Uh, hopefully FTR can now get into a few, somebody important, um, Kind of alluded to that possibly after the match, but uh, yeah, this was fine. I, I think you said you still like a B. I'd probably give it a B, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, if I told you on January 1st to write a list of 5,000 things that were possible in professional wrestling in 2023, <laughs> I guarantee you would not have had Karen Jarrett hitting Aubrey Edwards with a
1: guitar on a pay-per-view as part of that. I guarantee it. Gu- uh, guitar, look, guitar might. I think guitar is my favorite weapon in pro wrestling. Because it can look vicious and feel like nothing at the same time. Yeah. It's the sweet spot where it always looks devastating, and yet it's totally safe.
0: Trash can, too, because the ones they buy are those collapsible ones, but they're metal, so they mm-hmm. look like they're really strong. So, yeah, the trash can and the guitar for me, I agree. They, It's always hot to do it. Not everyone has a guitar, so you have to have a reason to have it. So it's one of those things that Jeff Jarrett gets to hold on to that it still makes sense for this one guy to have a guitar. time. he got. Yeah, it really does work. All right, uh, International Championship was on the line in a Blackjack Battle Royal, Orange Cassidy involved. So he was defending in this match. So last week, QTV announced that they would be in the Battle Royal. AEW then announced the list of entrants Wednesday, and it didn't include them. So the woman, the Miss Hancock person, said on Twitter in a video, they pulled themselves out, which of course makes no sense because powerhouse Hobbs would be wanting to go after a major title, but I digress. Let's get to the match. Uh, as I said, Cole and Jericho was announced as the opener, but instead entrances for this match happened moments after that announcement on the pre-show, which was really odd. Uh, Commander did his thing on the top rope. The four luchadors teamed up. Tremperetta saved Orange from elimination by taking a boot from Big Bill, who by the way, shined in this match. Uh, Brian Cage eliminated Keith Lee while he was tussling with Swerve Strickland. Jay White caught Pentagon with Sling Blade, but then got speared blind and eliminated by Ricky Starks. And this would have easily been the best spear of the weekend, except it was the second best spear of the weekend because of what happened on NXT, which we'll talk about later. Uh, Starks got destroyed by White and Juice Robinson outside, and then he got eliminated. The final two were Orange and Swerve. They had a really sick counter sequence with Stun Dog Millionaire, but Swerve no-sold it and hit a thrust kick. Then he did another one and completely missed a Swerve stomp. His feet literally landed on either side of Orange's head, but Cassidy sold it anyway. Swerve wasted time putting Orange's hands in his pockets, so of course he took advantage with two Tornado DDTs and an Orange Punch. Orange then blocked a Swerve stomp on the apron with two of his feet straight up in the air. He was going to Orange Punch Swerve off of the apron, but instead he paused, looked, and saw that he was hanging on by one arm, and then he just kicked his arm and Swerve fell off the apron with Orange retaining the title in more than 20 minutes. Outside of the commander spot, which I just thought was dumb in a battle royal, there was a lot of really smart booking and creative here in a damn good battle royal. Trent saving Orange was fitting. Orange and Swerve had a great sequence that I wanted to last longer. And for a change, a refreshing change in AEW, we did not get a battle royal that was filled to the brim with comedy. They saved the lone, truly funny moment for the end. And it was not only appropriate, but it was legitimately funny and it made sense in the finish. I went four stars A- for this. Uh, It was a great way to start, start the show. I actually almost went higher. Like, I really liked this. I like it. I like it a lot. It was one of the better battle royals. Not the best. But one of the better ones I can remember, easily the best one in AEW history. WWE yeah. recently put on a really good one on TV. This one topped it.
1: Yeah, I was thinking at the end, hey, this might be AEW's best battle royal. I don't even think and it's, it's close. because of the finish. Yeah. Be- because they gave it time at the end, so when somebody wanted, felt like they accomplished something. Very similar to Cody and Gunther at the Rumble, where mm-hmm. the end feels like its own thing. And that's really important because I did not know what the fuck the rules were in this <laughs> battle royal at the beginning. I, I see Bandito running the ropes and then jumping out of the ring to do on somebody and he gets back in. I'm like, yeah. I guess he's still on the match. I don't know. You have people on the outside to like start. It was I, I missed what the rules were. It was conf- it, it, they didn't explain them well, even moving forwards, Part of it's on me, I guess, but I just I I missed it, apparently, didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, I really liked Brian Cage's uh, Zangief gear Mm -hmm. uh, from Street Fighter. Fighter. Yes, Um, uh, it did have the classic AEW issue of too many people doing wrestling moves at the same time, like in a WWE battle royal. It's just punching and punching and stuff in the corner. And then you've got people in the middle doing stuff to shine. AEW always has so many people like doing real moves all at once. And it's hard to keep track of everything. They you, they still got to work on kind of timing the most important things, the thing we're supposed to focus on at each time. Um, but again, they were a lot better in this one. Um, uh, Jay White looked, did did like nothing in this match. It was Very really surprising. disappointing. Uh, yeah. Continues to just do nothing of note since he joined AEW. Very disappointing. Um, I wrote this on my notes. Did I have this right? Did Ryan Cage eliminate Keith Lee?
0: Yeah, I said that. Uh, Keith was wrestling yeah. with Swerve and Cage eliminated Keith.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How do you not have Swerve be the one to eliminate Keith Lee? Well, like, I was I was okay finally... with that.
0: Here, here's, why I was, here's why I was totally okay with that. Swerve contributed because they were fighting. Two, yeah. C- Cage is aligned with Swerve and Cage is the bigger, stronger guy and Keith Lee's enormous. So for me it was okay.
1: That's but, true. I guess yeah. I guess he is in the embassy or whatever, isn't he? I yeah. guess that kind of makes sense. He's but his still, number two I still guy. We had Swerve do it. Yeah. I, I, I'm still I'm glad they got the face to face and they did some stuff. And so I just think it would have been more impactful if Swerve was the guy to do it. Either way, uh, toward the end I, d- I didn't quite catch what the move was, but um, the orange Swerve part. I think somebody botched something and the crowd was chanting uh, "You fucked up." Oh. That is the. Dumbest chant in wrestling.
0: Yeah, I hate that. To yeah.
1: do stuff like that, and I hate it when that happens all the time.
0: I like so when they chant it. Do I like when they chant it in kayfabe, where someone does something and they're yes. like, "Oh, you fucked yes. up!" Like that. This person's about to beat your ass. But like to call someone yeah. out for messing up a move. I mean, we can do that, you know, after the fact on commentary here when we're talking. But you don't need to do that in yeah, the crowd bo- live.
1: Botcha mania culture is one of the dumbest things in wrestling. Yeah. So I just want to point that out. But in the end, we got a really good ending. And that's the most important part of a metal royal. in the end. Yeah. What people remember are the, you remember the entrances. If it's the Royal rumble, if it's a surprise mm-hmm. and you remember the end and they nailed the end. So kudos to them for that.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, later backstage, FTR saved Starks while he was getting beat down by the bullet club, which basically means we should expect, I would assume a third bullet club member, or maybe someone from Japan joining them and having a match, perhaps at forbidden door. That would make a lot of sense. Also, no idea what they're doing with Swerve and Keith Lee, but it would be great for Swerve to be the one to beat Orange for the title after the ending to that match. I'd love for them to have a singles match, Swerve to win, change the title, put it on someone who really deserves it and needs it. Orange has done a great job, incredible title reign. Um, He doesn't need it anymore. Have Swerve win it and take that into a new, you know, I was gonna say stratosphere, but a new feud, a new set of challengers, defend it differently where it's not on the line every week. I'd be interested in that. Okay, let's go to the trios. Uh, House of Black defending against a team to be announced in a House Rules Open Challenge. On Rampage, Acclaimed and Daddy Ass won a trios match. Then they cut a promo suggesting they wanted to challenge for the trios titles. Then it was announced there would be this open challenge at Double or Nothing, which was really confusing. First of all, it should have been booked like a week ago so you could promote it and create a storyline for the match. But then you had them cut the promo and you had like... Forty-five minutes of rampage left. Why not announce the match at that point? Why is it still an open challenge when you have someone who's said they want to fight in the match? They treated it like it was a surprise, but they gave it away to us on television. It was so weird. So acclaimed and daddy ass came down. They answered the open challenge. Max Caster had one of his top five lines ever. I actually didn't. <laughs> I actually didn't get it. You know, word for word here, which I normally do. But the line was about Buddy Matthews being cucked by a guy named Dominic, which got a huge deserved pop. Kudos to him. I'd clap if it made sense on the mic. Uh, Daddy ass got a really nice hot tag. He caught Buddy with a draping famous over the middle rope, but then he turned around and ate black mass for the loss. This was really all it needed to be for a title match without any build, and the right person took the fall. I'm going 2.75 stars, C+ but that was just more for like the overall entertainment value of the segment. There wasn't really that much to the match. It was boring. And I know they wanted all these names on the card, but it really shouldn't have been on the pay-per-view.
1: Yeah. It was like, it was okay, but it wasn't as good as frankly, as good as FTR and, um, and uh, lethal and Jared, which kind of says something. The, right. the, 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 the Max caster rap was really good. The, we got to, I think we got to, who's your poppy chant during the match um really just i just really goes to show just how freaking over dominic mysterio is right now <laughs> like <it's crazy. laughs> i know dominic mysterio is getting reference to getting chance in AEW. just just nuts um commentary here shivani says during the match that uh anthony bowens is hurt and is going to probably be out a few months and then says Then tries to like backtrack and be like, well, you know, I guess you never know. We'll see. Like out of nowhere, just totally unprompted in the middle of the match. That was bizarre. So I assume he's hurt and going to be out for a bit. I I guess we'll see. That was strange. That's about the only other note I had on this.
0: He said that, but he wrestled the match. I'm confused. Right. Right. So am I. Okay. So, I, I didn't even hear that. Know.
1: All right. Yeah, that's, that's weird. <laughs> that's what he said. That's what he said. It was bizarre.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, that was really strange. Uh, let's move to the television titles. We'll start with the TNT Championship. Wardlow defending against Christian Cage in a ladder match. Uh, Cage entered without Luchasaurus. Wardlow set up two tables beyond ringside. Then he was standing on an elevated ladder but got tripped. And he landed on a rung, right, to the nuts, to the nether regions. Wardlow pressed Christian and helicopter dropped him into a ladder that brought Luchasaurus down. Christian hit an inverted DDT off the ladder. Then he dodged a Swanton bomb with Wardlow nailing the ladder. So then Arn Anderson came down. Wardlow jumped off the ropes onto a ladder and he was meant to like hop onto it like Ricochet would for a spot. Instead, he broke the ladder because, you know, he's 277 pounds. Idiotic spot. Truly, truly dumb. Then he stupidly tried to climb the broken ladder. So Rick Knox comes into the ring to help him. He holds the ladder, which we criticized. Who was it? Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs, was it? The last person that this happened and we criticized it? Yes. Yep. But even Rick Knox holding it doesn't work because the ladder was broken. So Luchasaurus comes in the ring, hits him with two choke slams, Then... Arn squares up with Luchasaurus and he bites his thumb. Now he had a blood packet in his mouth. He kept chewing on it because he couldn't break it. So he's gnawing on this guy's thumb. And the reason this happened is Luchasaurus was trying to chokeslam him. So you have a dinosaur biting a dinosaur in the middle of a professional wrestling match. Wardlow then put Luchasaurus on those tables and he hit a freaking swanton bomb off a really tall ladder right through them. He nailed his tailbone. Luckily, he was okay. He did this while Arn and Rick blatantly held the ladder for him again. Again, not a problem, but the camera shouldn't be showing them. You gotta do better than that. Arn pushed Christian off a ladder into Wardlow's waiting arms for a powerbomb. Then Wardlow climbed and grabbed the title to retain. This was an absolute mess. I have no idea how to even grade it. Wardlow had to be assisted by a 64-year-old to beat a 49-year-old. Multiple spots didn't work. Arn bit a dinosaur's thumb, but Wardlow also hit a really sick swanton, and they did the really cool move, Christian getting pushed off the ladder into the powerbomb. So it's like, how do I compute a convoluted, ridiculous match with Arn Anderson getting involved with this huge guy hitting two awesome moves but also in an extremely dumb manner trying to jump onto a ladder. How do I put all that together for a grade? I have no freaking idea. It's a 2.75 C plus, maybe a three B minus. It's right there. The ridiculous parts were so eye rolling that it was tough for me to get past them.
1: Dude, that Swanton was insane. It was ridiculous. (laughs) That was Jeff Hardy level height. Yeah. The same thing he did to Bubba Ray Dudley back in the day at WrestleMania X7, I think. That was nuts. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the only thing I'm going to remember from this, ultimately. The only thing I should remember from it. But what is with AEW and these ladder issues? Why does this keep happening? Well, again, dude, is up with that.
0: the, The guy's nearly 300 pounds jumping onto a ladder. It wasn't going to work. Like, why right. did they well, even like, do it?
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, you got to, like, plan these things out. And even Jim Ross jumped in on commentary, which was like, you can't hold the ladder for him. You shouldn't do that. He
0: also said, gr- someone said, <laughs> grab another ladder. Like, it's almost like he was, because c- the commentary table was ringside. We didn't mention that. So it's almost like they yeah. were trying to scream, hey, dude, get another ladder for the spot. You're being an idiot. And he just didn't listen to them.
1: Yeah. Also, when Ann Ar- an- Arn Anderson was <laughs> Ann in the ring and looking... <laughs> Arn Anderson was in the (laughs) ring looking at whoever it was at the time. JR was like, oh, I think we got the DDT coming. No, it's not the DDT. It's a spine buster. It's Arn Anderson. Come on, man. Right. So more of a mess there.
0: It was really tough. All right, let's move to the TBS championship. Jade Cargill against Taya Valkyrie. Now, Chris, just a heads up. We're going to do this in two different parts, okay? The match itself and then what happened after the match. Both women had awesome entrances. Taya got a ton of fire. Uh, Jade did a step routine with AKA coming out to pretty girls walk. I couldn't tell if it was actually big boss vet doing it. I don't know if they called it out or you heard that, but I have to believe it was. Otherwise you would just use the track. You wouldn't have someone else rap her song. Yeah, uh, I
1: think, I think it was her.
0: Also Jade's husband, Brandon Phillips. Yes. The baseball player, Cincinnati Reds, uh, was in the crowd with their kid. Taya flew off the top rope outside only to take out Mark Sterling and eat a big boot. Then she did the Shinsuke Nakamura sliding German suplex. Jade got her normal offense. Taya countered a sleeper into a no-spin blue thunderbomb. Jade sprung into the ring for what was supposed to be a mid-air catch codebreaker, but she overshot it and took two knees to the gut. Taya also did the pulling curb stomp from behind, which, really cool move. You can kind of question the aesthetics of the entire thing. Uh, Then Taya hit a spear and rode to Valhalla for a false finish. The crowd legitimately popped because they thought the streak might be over. She hit the finisher. Jade then immediately picked her up and hit jaded for the one, two, three, and nine minutes. So Taya straight up carried Jade in this match, okay? She mm-hmm. did whatever she could and praise to her for that. This did succeed in being Jade's toughest test. I wonder, I have to think back, her match with Nyla Rose, I just remember that being very good. It was one of her two best matches, maybe her best match. And this did set her up for what's next. But it was not particularly strong and the finish with Jade kicking out of road to Valhalla only to stand up and hit jaded like seconds later with no extra sequence, no more story in the match. It just felt rushed and ridiculous. I went 2.5 stars in a C. That doesn't mean I think it was bad by any means. It's just it can only be so good because Jade's not that good in the ring.
1: Yeah, I was, again, pleasantly surprised by this. I thought both of the entrances were awesome. Very glad it it made the match feel like a bigger deal at the beginning. I'm surprised nobody else really got special entrances other than uh, Blackpool Blackpool Combat Club. Um, It it, Taya did carry the match as you would expect, but it was like it was pretty good. There there was the one that the stretch and then the curb stop or whatever. That was that was brutal, man. I literally yelled like "Oh fuck!" when Jade's face slammed into the canvas and bounce back i don't know if she wasn't ready for that or what uh, but there were a couple of those spots the codebreaker you mentioned too were uh looked pretty hit each other pretty tough because just i don't know if they weren't ready for it or what um jade did have a great kick out on valhalla on on ty's finisher that got the crowd really into it as well It's a great 2.99 kick out but then you're right she just gets up and hits her move and that's it so that was a strange ending to what I actually thought was a pretty solid match uh, otherwise up to that point.
0: Yeah, I um, I actually didn't think her kick out was good at all. I'm not saying that it wasn't timely, but she doesn't kick out with like the oomph that you want in a spot like that, especially for someone her size. So I disagree
1: with that, but- I thought she did on that one. That's weird. Okay. I, I agree, general she does, but I actually thought she did on that one. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Because Ty had, bo- Ty had both of her arms pinned down with her hands. And so it, was, it really was like an emph- emph- emphatic uh, kick out with her right arm. I just, I it stood out to me at least. Okay.
0: So after the bell, uh, Mark Sterling grabs a microphone and praises Jade for going to and 0 And as soon as he grabs this mic, you know, hey, a post-match angle is coming. And that's okay. It happens in wrestling, but you knew it was coming. So he said, there's nobody left for her. And then you really knew what was coming. Uh, and she can beat anyone, anytime, anywhere. So of course- Chris Statlander returned and we talked about this on the Ultimate Preview. She tore her ACL. She was out about nine months. It's been nine months. It made sense for her to come back and beat Jade sooner than later. And for some reason, they did the match immediately. So Stat just beat Jade's ass, uh, but she did eat a pump kick. Then she escaped jaded and hit, I think it's called Sunday Night Fever, uh, for the win in one minute. The pop for Statlander's return and the victory were tremendous. I mean, it wasn't as hot as it would be if the crowd was good, like if it was in Chicago, but the pops were still really good. Confetti was somehow ready to go for this, by the way. The only time that we saw Confetti all night for all these title matches, and it was ready for Statlander. Uh, Stat looked great in her return. The alien shit was gone. She looked just as strong and as dominant as Jade in the few seconds that they actually stood next to each other. I just didn't agree with the booking. First of all, Sterling said she would fight anyone, anytime, anywhere. And that's, it's one thing to say that. But then actually being dumb enough to do it are two completely different things. That's horrible kayfabe management and really bad decision-making by Jade. Like, it's one thing when like a jobber comes out on TV and you're like, okay, I'll fight her also. When you see Chris Statlander walking down to the ring, it's not like you've made a verbal contract. You just say, hold your horses. You, you're a heel, right? You jump out, of, you're not a baby face, you're a heel. You jump out of the ring. You wave your finger and then they do the match on Dynamite, and Statlander wins in a real match, nine, 10 minutes, whatever the case might be. Commentary explained that Jade was exhausted from her match. Fair, but she still lost mm-hmm. in one minute. Now, Statlander is going to be fine because she just returned. She got a big pop. But imagine how she could have been elevated if she beat Jade clean in a real match on Dynamite or at the next show. Instead, they yeah. ended a 60 and 0 title reign that lasted, I mean, I don't even know how long, over a year, right? Um, They completely Mm -hmm. wasted this on a happenstance, caught by surprise title change. Again, I am not trying to rain on the parade at all because it was a great moment for stat. I just completely disagree with the booking decision.
1: It felt like when WWE has money in the bank, cash in on Charlotte Flair like the night of the show.
0: Except that one has a reason. There's a contract and a briefcase.
1: No, but I'm just saying where it's like, oh, we didn't even, you you know, you didn't, someone didn't beat Charlotte Flair fair and square and elevated to that level. It was just a quick thing you threw out there and the baby face had the advantage on the situation and gets a quick win and it's like, all right, cool. But like, did you really, did you really get everything out of that that you wanted? You're right. Jade Cargill has been the champ forever. She's never lost and her first loss is not some epic duel of some kind it's she already wrestled a really tough match and she just gets pinned by someone who appears for the first time in 9 months like Chris she held eesh. the title
0: i'm sorry she'll she, held, she held the title for 508 days eesh. january 2022
1: but come on man i just i don't get that booking either either statlander returns and she's getting a title shot soon or she returns a couple weeks ago and this is the title match like i just i don't get doing it like that which is too bad um, but i'm glad satlander's back she's awesome um it continues what we know about tony khan's booking which is yeah when there's something he wants to do and something jumps in and changes it he d- he sticks with his original plan no matter how long that's going to take yeah he, he's done that many times with many different people and we thought satlander could win the title last year she gets who tears her acl in august she's out nine months She comes back and eventually wins it. So good for her. Good to see her back. She's been through a couple of knee injuries um, recently. So really, really happy for her and happy to to have her back. Commentary sucked on this big moment. Statlander's music hits. And it's nothing from commentary for a while. I'm not quite sure at first who it is. I I assume it's Statlander, but her music's not. I don't know what it is totally. And you get like a. You have, I think it's Taz who just goes like, dude. And then, <laughs> and then you have, Tony, eventually you have Tony Schiavone saying like, what a double or nothing moment this is. What an AEW moment this is. Like what? They just complete Like this should be the big moment. It's Statlander. She's back. Right. Like, and they just nothing. Well, it that's what they do. Horrible. That it should have been a big moment. And they just, nobody there. The only one who tries is Excalibur. To step up for the big moment. But Excalibur's not that kind of guy. Shivani is. You is supposed to be that guy. And they just they just didn't so many big times in the show where you you want like an iconic call to go with this big moment. And it's just not there, time and time again.
0: They're so focused on telling us how great AEW is and how great the matches and how great the wrestlers are, rather than wait to your point selling the moment and it's what WWE does so well now look a large part of that is because Vince McMahon mandated it for all of these years mm -hmm. and even Michael Cole now without Vince in his ear he still had that ingrained on him for like 20 years right so now he gets to call things his own way but he remembers I gotta sell the moment I don't know what the AEW commentary situation is like if JR is just head of it and he gives notes when he gives them and that's it. If Tony Khan gives them notes on the headset, if he has direction for them, but they put over the company and how great they are, rather than the individual moments that make AEW great. And again, even though I don't like the booking here, there's no doubt this was a great moment. If you're a Chris Statlander fan in particular, you are going to remember this. I'll always remember how she returned. She came back, won the title off Jade, ended and 0 It was a moment. It was. Again, I disagree with the booking. I think it could have been bigger, should have been bigger, and Stat could have benefited more from it. And I do hope that they do a rematch and she goes 2-0 against Jade. That's what they need to do to really solidify mm-hmm. that this wasn't happenstance. Um, I have no idea what they're going to do with Jade. I've, I'm guessing she's going to take a break and we're, we're not going to get this immediately, but they should. Yeah. A week, two weeks, one of the TV specials, you do a rematch and you have Stentlander go over clean, straight up clean win. And Jade, instead of being 60 and one, is 60 and two, or maybe she gets a couple wins in between. Um,
1: yeah, but they need to revisit. I, it. I think I, th- I think St- I think Statlander said that in the scrum. I think she sounded like Jade was going to be away for a, a bit. But and yeah, yeah. To, to the point, I mean, like WWE commentary, like WWE almost never blows the big moment from a production sample from a commentary. Like, yeah. those are they know those are the things you go back and watch those moments. Those are the things you remember. AEW's commentary so often feels like they don't know what's going on. And they're just like silent while they try to figure out what's going on. And then they react to it. Instead, they should be prepared, knowing what's coming and have their call ready when the moment comes. They just, they don't do that. And it really hurts the production.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. All right. Lastly, the buy-in match, the Hardy party, it was supposed to be against Ethan Page and the guns. If the Hardys won, Matt would then control Ethan Page's contract. As we explained on the Ultimate Preview, Isaiah Cassidy got pulled from this match for Hook after a kayfabe attack by the heels. It was played up as a surprise on Rampage, despite Hook already teaming with them for the firm deletion. Jeff Hardy hurt his knee or ankle in the match, seemingly for real, but not terribly bad. Then he slipped, trying to jump on the top rope for Whisper in the Wind and just fell down. He eventually hit a Swanton Bomb to break a fall and followed with Hook locking in red rum for the win. This was a notably average match with a really unfortunate sequence at the end. The crowd was only half full. It looked awful. It sounded awful. Didn't come across well. Really just nothing about this worked that well. I went two stars and a C minus. You know, it was fine, but I mean, you have the Hardys on the kickoff show. What are you doing?
1: My only thought was, it must be pretty cool for the Hardys to be wrestling with taz's son and against billy gunn's sons like Mm -hmm. these wrestlers who they worked with uh back in the day uh probably feel old but also it's pretty cool for for that to happen um jeff hardy the slip on when he jumped out of the top rope we were doing the live twitter spaces at that moment and i thought it was legit i thought he legit hurt his knee and tried to do something and completely fell. I don't know if he slipped off the rope or if he was selling the bad knee, No, but man, he, he hit the canvas hard he slipped. when you did that. And Jeff, Jeff Hardy does not need to be taking bumps like that for for knee selling. So ultimately the phase is one, as we expected. Ethan the pages contract is there. I don't know. I don't really care about this story. I don't think many people do, but you put the stipulation in, that's going to happen. We'll see what happens.
0: I should note here, uh, we're not gonna go through what happened in the AEW Double or Nothing Scrum, but MJF did hurt his forearm in the match. It was heavily taped afterward. It wasn't braced, so one would assume it wasn't broken or fractured, and he'll be okay. Nevertheless, he did hurt it. That is one notable news item coming out of it. Any additional news items coming out of the scrum, we will discuss this upcoming Thursday on our next AEW and NXT podcast. Chris, with the instant reaction of Double or Nothing all complete, Let's go to our post-show grades. A reminder.
1: Real quick, real quick, real quick. Did we want to talk about the Owen Cup bit?
0: No. Okay. Do you?
1: I just, it was a lot of talking and it was kind of confusing as to what is going Uh, on. They did the, what what do they call it? The opening
0: ceremonies of the Owen Hart tournament. Martha Hart came out, said a lot of things that were, some of them maybe meant to be funny, but weren't. Tony Khan, they came out in a Mountie hat that they called a fedora. He looked like an idiot. It sucked. Um, they're starting the tournament at or around Forbidden Door. I forgot what they said. Uh,
1: yeah, at, at Forbidden Door. What
0: else? What else is there? Anything?
1: And they're going to end. They're going to end it in Calgary. I
0: think. Right. They're going to end it in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, their home, which is really cool. I love that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That. That's it. Okay. So coming uh, back. Going back back to what I said, uh, we're all complete with the instant reaction. Let's move to the post-show grades for AEW, Double or Nothing. We'll start with a reminder of where we were coming in, our pre-show grades. Now, Chris and I, on the Ultimate Preview podcast, we were both in agreement. We thought it would be a B-plus show. All of you are getting overheads, got to vote in our Twitter poll, at Getting Overcast, and this was the breakdown, 12% A, uh, 68% B, 17% C, 3% D to F, about an 84, which is a low B, the lowest B that you can actually have. Now moving into the post-show grades, Chris, when we do this, I always let you go first. I have the results from the getting overheads. I have my own grade, but what is your final grade for AEW double or nothing?
1: I'm going to give this a straight B. Uh, the, The last two matches really carried the show. Really good stuff. Almost the entire rest of the card was a mess, Um, either poor match quality or bizarre booking or what stuff happened. We had two women's title changes, Um, you know, like stuff statlander returned, like some stuff happened. So I like appreciated that, but I don't know if it's because there were so many other things going on at once tonight, but it was just very, very hard to get into it. The crowd certainly did not help that really put a damper on it. We'll talk about that in a second again. Um, I think I'm just gonna go like be like 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 uh like 85, 86, like right below a B plus.
0: I think if we got a clear five star match or A plus matches, which I don't have them at those two main events, I have them as really high A's as of right now, then I might be able to agree with you and elevate what was like a C plus show otherwise before those up to that type of level, but I can't get all the way there. I'm gonna be at a B minus, an 83 out of 100, so the highest B minus you can get, but a B minus nonetheless. Um, The two main events heavily boosted the rest of what we got. It ended on such a high note that I really think, despite us just spending an hour going over all of this, you kind of forget how dull and boring and, and uneventful and falling below expectations the vast majority of that show was. On top of that, the crowd, was horrendous. The band thing with Wild Thing, I never want to hear that damn song again the rest of my (laughs) life. The wrestlers did the best they could most of the show. The creative and the booking was extremely rough. Probably the worst booked AEW pay-per-view that they've maybe ever had to this point. And I will tell you, our Getting Overheads listeners agreed with me, but they were harsher than both of us. They said 10% A, 43% B, 36% C and 11% D to F. That is about an 80, the lowest possible B minus. So we're all in that kind of range, we're similar. Uh but they're at 80, I'm at 83 B minus both of us and you said 85 86 B for you. So what do you think about that?
1: That that's that's one of the lowest rated Grades we've ever gotten from the audience, I think
0: it might be we probably have to go back to the er-
1: probably ever. go back to the early days of the pod when Vince was booking WWE. pride, some bad ones, in some there. of the Thunderdome That's ones, the maybe. Yeah, lowest we've had in a while, and and like the crowd was a big look. If the crowd was hot, I'd probably like this a little bit more. AW crowds are normally very very hot. Like if you go to an AW show, it's a really good time. But this crowd, like there were there were tickets left available. There were a lot of comp tickets. Um, They were having trouble with this one. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting at a time when they have a big summer coming up. They've got another TV show they're adding. Ticket sales have been down in places where they've gone a lot. And that's what's going to be really interesting. When they go to new places, it still does big numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, When they go to places that they've done a lot, like Vegas, it's kind of running thin there. So. I don't know if Tony didn't answer if double or nothing will again be in Vegas next year. Uh, we'll see, but they've got forbidden door coming up. They've got, uh, all in, which is selling great in England. You've got maybe all out after, although that sounds like it might be on TV and not a pay-per-view
0: all in might be uh, on TV so, and all out might be a pay-per-view
1: or maybe you're the reverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so so we'll see but um very very surprised that's by far the worst AW crowd we've ever had and this wasn't one of those like 13 14 match cards where the crowd's dead they were just they were not there from the beginning oh yeah then they picked it up at the end with the good matches so very very surprising uh crowd
0: the crowd was apparently papered and and doing you know th- they've did it earlier and they succeeded earlier doing you know Memorial Day weekend in Las Vegas it's expensive uh it's a crowd that a lot of people uh, not, not a crowd, a city where a lot of people, even though it's a long weekend, they go home on Sunday because they take advantage of the long weekend. They stay that the majority of the extra day before they fly out. Um, but they have overrun Las Vegas. There are cities you cannot overrun. Um, like Chicago is a really good example of it. New York, to some degree, you can do it a little too much if it's all in a short period of time. But if you go once a year, you're not gonna overrun New York. They've overrun Las Vegas. And it's to the point they need to start looking at some of these other states that have legalized gambling because it is a thematic show and considering put it in Atlantic City or some of the places down south, they got to do something with this show. They can't just keep putting it here in the same weekend. It's just just clearly not going to work. Um, They papered the show. I don't know how much, but definitely a good amount. And you could tell because if that was a rabid AEW crowd, people who paid good money for the tickets, they wouldn't have sat on their hands like that. It was a shit crowd. And that's pretty much the reason why. Uh, Chris, that was the... AEW instant reaction. I appreciate you joining for it. I am going to bring you back a little bit later in the show. You didn't get a chance to watch NXT Battleground. I'm going to break that down myself. At the very end of the show, we are going to give you a succession instant reaction to the finale of that fantastic four season show. So stay tuned for that. Okay, let's move to the NXT Battleground instant reaction. Let's just get right into it. We'll start with the NXT Championship, Carmelo Hayes defending against Braun Breaker in the main event. Braun had awesome new look year and white and red dog mask that he wore to the ring. He also had facial hair to make him look bad and the gimmick is now meaner than evil. It was only spoiled by the fact that the same multicolored graphics and Titantron were shown behind him and in front of him as he made the way to the ring. I cannot fathom why they haven't changed the graphical presentation to match the new heel character. He wears black, red, and white, so those should be his graphics. Trick Williams announced Melo with a Titantron filled with pictures of trophies won by Boston sports team. As a Yankees and Knicks fan, it was absolutely disgusting to me. Uh, but Braun saved Mello from what would have been a disastrous tope early. Good on him for making that save. We had good action for a while, but a lot of it was slow. Breaker hit a true Frankensteiner. Mello then got two knees up, catching Braun with a legal low blow. He countered a vertical move into a DDT and went on a major run from there, though Braun kicked before a count only to eat a lifted cutter for a two count. Mellow then countered the press power slam into a code breaker. Braun avoided nothing but net, but Mellow avoided the spear into the post. He came back with a springboard only to get caught with one of the sickest midair spears ever. I literally yelled seeing the move. It was a true holy shit moment. One of the best singular moves of the entire week. Melo came back with a springboard elbow to the back of bronze head and nothing but net for the squeaky clean one, two, three, retaining the title in 18 minutes or so. This was eons better than their stand and deliver match. Further aided by Melo winning without Tricks' assistance. He got a deserved ovation after the bell. You could not ask for more from both of these guys. And really, I just wish more people saw it live because that's how good it was. I'm not here to tell you that it was one of the best matches of the week. It wasn't, but it was extremely entertaining and extremely well wrestled from these guys. And like I said, it was far better than what we got at stand and deliver the first time they fought. I was a little concerned when they ran this back that they might change the title back to Breaker. That would have been a huge mistake. They made the right decision. I now want to see Braun do a ton of different things in NXT as a heel. I want to see him operate without a championship. Don't give him North American. Don't have him get into a tag team and win a title. I just wanna see Braun be a heel and I wanna see it work and him cut a ton of promos. I think it's going to, like I said, this was well-placed. I said, I think I said 18 minutes a moment ago, I just checked while I was talking to you, it was about 14, it was really tough to tell timing of all these matches because I was watching two shows simultaneously. Nevertheless, fantastic, 4.25 stars and an A. We'll move to the women's championship, Tiffany Stratton against Lyra Valkyria for the vacant title. Lyra got a video package and a smoke-filled entrance. Great presentation of her. Nothing special for Tiffany's entrance, but she looked focused. Stratton hit Valkyria's leg on a leapfrog in a minor botch, but Lyra sold it well. Lyra hit two fisherman suplexes, but went for a third and got countered. Tiffany caught a flying crossbody, but Lyra countered a forward roll into like half a crucifix bomb. Stratton hit a grounded shotgun dropkick and worked the injured knee. Then Valkyria stopped the double handspring elbow, Turning for a German suplex, she went for a roundhouse kick finisher, but her knee buckled. So Tiffy lifted her for the forward roll, but Lyra avoided prettiest moonsault ever and actually hit the roundhouse kick. She didn't get a cover until a couple seconds later, so Stratton got her foot on the ropes. Tiffy then countered a powerbomb off the ropes into a hurricanrana. She followed with the forward roll and the prettiest moonsault ever to become the new NXT Women's Champion in 16 minutes. Despite some hiccups early, And there were a couple missed moves at times here as well. There is absolutely no doubt that this match was a banger. And it was easily Stratton's best in NXT. I questioned on the Ultimate Preview why they went with Lyra instead of Roxanne Perez here, especially coming out of that semifinal match. Well, you know what? Shut my mouth. They needed Lyra's experience to help get Stratton to this level of match. It really was an exceptional showing and a queen-making moment for her. Obviously, the right champion, a tremendous showcase for one of WWE's long-term major stars. She was a made woman coming out of this match. That is all you could ask for. I went four stars and an A- for the match, and there's a good chance I'd go higher on a rewatch, but there were so many instances of slightly missed moves or things that weren't completely fluid, that it's really tough to go to a higher level, but it was one of the best women's matches that NXT has put on in the 2.0 era. No question about it. Isla Dragunov fought Dijak in a last man standing match. Dragunov had his really sick red contacts, and the match began. Uh, Dijak caught Isla trying the leaping falling forearm outside, so he slammed him into the steel steps. Dijak picked up a table, and Dragunov just ran himself through it like a cannonball to take out Dijak on the other side. He literally put his body through the table to take out uh, Dijak, who was holding it up. It was truly an insane spot, and he busted open his chin hard away, doing it as well. Dijak threw Isla off his back into the steps in the ring, with Dragonov delivering a spike DDT into the steps, then drilling Dijak with them on the canvas, and then hitting a Van Terminator with the damn steps. Dijak broke the count at 9.5 using the ropes. It was an insane start to the match. Dijak then choke slammed him on the apron and hit Feast Your Eyes, but Isla's body fell limp onto the middle rope while he was standing. So Dijak sat him in the corner and teed off five times with a full home run swing using a kendo stick. Then it eventually broke. Then he murdered him with a full swing of a chair shot to the back Isla rebounded with a running European uppercut. Then he got the stairs set up and hit the leaping, falling forearm off the stairs into the back of Dijak's head, directly into a chair on the canvas. He stood at 9.9 like in Rocky II in the final round when they both knocked each other out simultaneously and got the win in the last man standing match. Isla then jumped back onto the upturned steel steps to a huge ovation at the end. Now, if you remember what I said on the Ultimate Preview, my expectations were sky high for this match, and it somehow exceeded them. Just a straight up incredible match, bell to bell. And let me tell you something right now, if Isla Dragunov was not already over with you, he got over. He got over in this freaking match. It was somehow shorter than I expected, yet more action-packed than I expected. At the time I watched it, it was my match of the weekend. And kind of coming back now, talking through everything that happened in AEW, I still kind of have it there. They went back to all the elements of their feud. I actually didn't even love their feud. But Dragunov looked like a superhero in the finish. Dijak again proved that he is insanely underrated and he has finally completely washed the stink of T-Bar off of him. We never even have to mention it again. This is a no-brainer A-plus match. I have it at 4.75 stars right now. I will rewatch it. There's a chance it goes to five. I doubt it will because the story isn't that strong. This was a match of the year contender. It was the best match of the weekend. If Dragunov is not already my favorite wrestler, he is sure as shit getting close. One of the best last man standing matches of all time. And as you know, if you're a longtime listener to this show, I hate last man standing matches. And yet this one worked that well. The North American championship was on the line, Wesley defending against Tyler Bate and Joe Gacy in a triple threat. This actually opened battleground. Only Ava was with Gacy who had a really cool light up mask with a black light entrance. Bate had an insane spot for a guy his size doing a helicopter with Gacy on his shoulders while simultaneously swinging Wesley. There was also a Bate Huracarana into a Gacy catch powerbomb spot on Wesley. And then a Gacy double inverted and regular DDT spot. There was another cool spot with Gacy hitting the handspring lariat as Bate hit the rebound lariat, except instead of both of them nailing Wesley in the middle, they took each other out. West then hit a double cardiac kick for a false finish on Gacy. Bate broke a fall with a corkscrew and hit Tyler Driver 97 on Gacy, only for Lee to break the fall with a Meteora pushing him backwards. West hit a huge tope over the corner outside and took a Uranagi, but Wesley caught Gacy with cardiac kick while he simultaneously tried the handspring lariat for the title retention in around 12 minutes. Straight up brilliant triple threat. It banged from bell to bell. It was missing a storyline to take it higher. I mean, it had one coming in and they told it during the match. It just wasn't strong enough to elevate the entire thing, but it was exceptional with the right winner. Wesley has now set a title defense record for NXT I gave this 4.25 stars as an and an a, again, it didn't have the storyline and it didn't have long enough runtime for it to really go higher than that, but it was exceptional with the right winner and a great entry match to battleground, uh, between Gunther, Wesley and orange Cassidy. We are really eating right now when it comes to mid card champions across WWE NXT and AEW, all three of them are absolutely crushing it. So credit to those guys. Uh, tag team championship, Gallus against the Creed brothers. Julius delivered six consecutive overhead belly to belly suplexes with six straight kip ups. I would throw my back out doing one of those. Holy shit. Was that impressive? Julius had a standing shooting star press, ate a double choke slam, and then saw Brutus take out Gallus with the Brutus bomb. Ivy Nile tripped Joe coffee when he was trying to interfere. So then Ava ran down and took out Ivy, throwing her into the post with Gallus catching a distracted Julius with their finisher for the win. It was the right booking, as the Creeds really don't need the titles back right away, and they told a nice story to go along with it. The finishing sequence also protected the Creeds, and overall, the match delivered quite well. I went 3.5 stars and a B. It still seems like the D'Angelo family will be the ones to take the titles off Gallus eventually, and that does make sense, given the story that they're telling. Lastly, we had the Heritage Cup, Noam Dar against Dragon Lee. The rules here were six three-minute rounds unless there's a knockout or DQ. Uh, Nathan Frazier was in Dragon Lee's corner as his second, and Oro Mensa eventually came down after first denying Dar's ask on NXT this past week to be his second. Dar rolled over Dragon a minute and 33 seconds into round two to lead 1-0. Dragon won round three, but he didn't get any points, and Dar caught him with a spinning elbow after the bell, yet somehow avoided disqualification. Mensa helped Dar reach the ropes, then threw Frazier into the steel steps. Dragon caught DAR with a tornado inverted DDT, tying it at 1 1 after 2.06 in round four. Frazier and Mensa fought in the ring, then got taken to the back. Dragon jumped over the top rope for a Hurricarana off the ring apron, but his back landed on it in a really nasty spot. Then he hit last ride for a kickout before Lash Legend and Miss Jackson ran in, with one distracting the referee and the other hitting Dragon with a trash can. That gave DAR an opening for the Nova Roller and the third fall winning at 218 into round four. All three plus Mensa celebrated, and I gotta say this was surprising to say the least. We saw the backstage interactions, but really had no inkling that any alignment was coming here. It was a strange group also, but I'm kind of curious to see what happens with it. Dragon losing like this was kind of disappointing, and the match style didn't work perfectly for him because he's so fast-paced and needs momentum, and when you have three-minute rounds, The guy really never gets a chance to pick up the momentum that you want him to have. It slowed him down too much, the rules. Uh, We did have numerous spots of good wrestling, though. It's just that it ended as momentum for the match overall was picking up too. So I went 3.5 stars and a B. On rewatch, I may actually go a little lower than this, but it's going to be in that B range. Later backstage, the foursome celebrated, and it kind of clicked with everyone like matching each other's energy, the shit-eating heel type of character. I'm interested to see where it goes. It seems like... They may have played everyone with those backstage segments knowing that they were being shown on TV, which I hope is addressed because that would be really smart. Also, Chase U got a taped segment with Duke Hudson praising the class, except for Ricky who failed the quiz that everyone else passed. Then he brought in Duke Hudson and Charlie Dempsey as guest teachers to teach catch wrestling. They shit on Thea Hale showing footage of her match. She stormed out. Hudson stood up for her. Then he kicked them out saying they needed a better lesson plan next week. It was actually a pretty good and interesting segment. And lastly, we got a full vignette for the woman in the black hoodie who said that she's wreaked havoc on the entire women's division and would reveal herself Tuesday. Again, Blair Davenport, the former Bia Priestley, makes the most sense in this role. So that is the instant reaction to NXT Battleground, which means it is time to go over our grades for the show. In the pre-show, I came in thinking this was gonna be a B plus, and you are getting overheads on Twitter, voted 22% A, 68% B, C, that's an 86 average, a high B. So you had lower expectations than I did coming in. In terms of the post-show grades, you all voted 56% A, 34% B, 9% C, and 1% D to F, which averages out to a 90 or a low A minus. And one of our getting overheads, Brett Malam, who actually helped with portions of this coverage, I wanted to give him a chance. Uh, His personal grade was A- as well. He said 91 out of 100. So he and all of you pretty much on the same page. But I gotta tell you all, I just think you're underrating this show. I mean, I just went through all my individual match grades and the lowest were in the B level. I have an A+, multiple A's. The booking was on point the entire show. The co-main events delivered. Draganov and DiJack, one of the best matches of the year. The opener, North American, was an absolute banger. The only down matches on the entire show were the tag team title match and the Heritage Cup. And both of those were really damn good. So I don't see any way that you get to a low A minus. I mean, if you want to be at a 93, maybe, but I'm at a solid like 94, 95 out of 100. It's an A show. You really got to give credit to WWE because between Night of Champions and Battleground, they put out some really, really, Damn good product this weekend. And AEW, you know, just to kind of wrap up what I said about them earlier, um, you know, those two main event matches, the co-main events, absolute bangers. The rest of the show, rough, no question about it, but they put on two of the best matches of the weekend as well. So just a quality weekend of wrestling, three shows. Uh, Now at this point, we've done five podcasts in six days. Absolutely wild. Now, before we get out of here, I am going to bring vintage Chris Vanini back for a succession finale instant reaction. So if you have not watched the finale or you haven't watched the series, but you plan to, you haven't watched the final season, whatever the case, you're gonna want to end the show right now. I'm gonna give you a couple seconds to find that pause button if you need it. And if you don't, then we will keep going on with that succession instant reaction. It was not necessarily the most satisfying finale of a TV show or series that I've ever seen but I thought it was certainly one of the most appropriate and it was definitely appropriate for this show. In the end, Logan Roy's words rang true. They were not serious people, his kids. And as Roman said in one of the final scenes of the show, we are bullshit. They're bullshit. They weren't serious people. Tom always has been a serious person, especially once he turned on them in the season three finale. And we saw the fruits of that play out here to wrap up the series.
1: I watched the pilot earlier on Sunday just to kind of get prepared. And it was remarkable. The characters did not change at all. Mm -hmm. Like everything like Shiv could never be trusted. Kendall could never close. That's like one of the opening scenes of the show. And Roman was immature and he couldn't keep focus. Yep. Everything, everything that Logan saw in Kendall in that pilot remained the case Mm -hmm. all the way to the end. It's why Logan never stepped down. Tom always knew his place, his ability to suck up to everybody who's above him and step over all the people below him was just a remarkable character in that sense. And I always go back to that one scene where he's talking to Kendall. He says, Well, Kendall, Logan always seems to win and you always seem to lose. Yep. And that's what it was in the end and in, in the end. Every single character in the show is a terrible person. Right. And you could make the, you can make the case that none of them deserve to win. None of them deserve to be happy or whatever. The plot of the show never really mattered, like even the election a couple episodes ago. But it was it was always these moments where the siblings acted like innocent young kids back before Logan terrorize them Mm -hmm. Uh, you could see it come out like the the the, a meal fit for a king in this finale and that's really what made the show a tragedy is that these were clearly just such broken people destroyed by their father and in the end they were not fit to uh run the company maybe nobody is but i thought it was indeed a a perfect ending for for what this show is it made me want more of it but that's what made the show so good and so it's really ending on a high note That final season, that's a top five final season we've ever had. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's it's a hell of a way to go out.
0: Yeah. You can like other shows and people do. They'll like Breaking Bad or The Wire or this or that, whatever. Yeah. And for me, True Detective season one was the best season of any show I've ever seen singularly. But this, you say top five, it may be top three for me. Maybe even number one, final season of a show. That I can remember. And even this episode, Chris, there were so many individual moments. Like you have Matson telling Tom, I want to bang your wife. And he's in the process of reconciling with her, but he's such a shit eater mm-hmm. that he just like lets it happen. Right. Um, yep. Connor allocating all the shit. Cause all he cares about are the material things. Cause he knows he can't get anything else. Greg, both being smart and stupid simultaneously smart with the translator, stupid by laying his cards out there and it almost coming back to bite him in the acid again. Shiv, again, being one of the most aggravating characters in television history, can never read a room, always makes the wrong decision, screws herself over time and again because of her personality. You have that scene where Ken hugged Rome and dug his stitches into his shoulder so he's abusing him while simultaneously showing him affection just like his father did. And then really for me, where, like, the whole show really came together, the finale was Ken walking into that boardroom, uber confident, with the shit eating grin on his face again, just like he was the last time yep. he was in that boardroom. And Shiv again yep. screwing up the entire thing, bringing up the guy, Ken lying about the guy when he shouldn't have. Roman Fuck talking oh, about man. his kids, the entire thing devolving them, getting at each other's throats. And really, you even, like, out of all the shit, right? He had that one feel good moment at the end where despite Greg screwing up, Tom still had his back. So the disgusting brothers came out on top of the entire thing. Tom and Greg got what they wanted. Roman has the weight off his shoulders. You saw him in that final scene. Shiv decided to take another route to stay close to power with her husband rather than support her brother and their family. And that shot of them not really holding hands, but barely touching in the car was incredible. And, Tom finally got the upper hand in the relationship and it all ending with Ken just wandering around, having lost everything because the only thing he cared about, he couldn't get. I actually thought it may have been a jump the shark moment. I thought he was going to jump in the Hudson and just end it all. So did I I really thought this was going to happen. And they teased that for us because his life is now empty. So him being a loser, not a winner and everything else kind of happening the way it did. I just thought it was a brilliant finale, an incredible final season. And this is one of my favorite television shows of all time.
1: Yeah, it's really the it's all about the boardroom, because remember when this show started in 2018 or whatever, it was a slow start. Not a lot of people got into it. I watched the first handful of episodes as it was happening. I was like, I don't know if I really like this show. And then it's the boardroom vote in episode six. When when Kendall thinks he has the votes to take the company from Logan Mm -hmm. and then he doesn't and he blows it. And it's the exact same thing that happened. Kendall, get far away from boardrooms because you can absolutely not close the deal on there. And you're right they most of them eventually kind of got what they wanted, which is Roman just kind of doing whatever. Shiv is near power. But Kendall, the only thing Kendall wanted was to run the company, he didn't And he didn't do it the inside the episode afterward. Oh, where it was Jesse great. Armstrong talks about that is yeah. really good. He's like, Kendall, this is this is like the seminal moment of his life. Maybe he goes off and starts another company or something, but he'll never get back to this level because he blew it. And he has to live with that forever. And so many scenes of him around water you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's the um, this the scene where the, the, the waiter died. Uh, there's scenes of him floating in the water at various times. He's swimming in this episode. Mm-hmm. And you think the good thing happens and then ultimately it falls apart. And where does he go? He goes out to the water again. Yep. I'm just glad that Colin. Uh, at least still has a friend
0: <laughs> yeah he does also the boat you know where he learned logan's passing like the whole thing always around mm-hmm. water with kendall really really interesting the way they did that okay cool that we did an instant reaction of succession three instant reactions in one show a new record for the getting are we great over. are we
1: giving that five are we giving that five stars five star uh, a plus
0: a plus finale a plus final season yeah
1: yes agree, agree. all right
0: beautiful Unlike them, we are serious people here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And we appreciate all of you joining us for this three way instant reaction edition of the show. Thank you all so much for listening. Here's what's coming up on Getting Over Tuesday. We will be back with our WWE episode, The Fallout from Night of Champions and everything that goes down on Raw this Monday night. And on Thursday, we will be back with our next AEW and NXT episode, Fallout from Double or Nothing and Battleground, along with everything that happens on Dynamite and NXT this week. We appreciate you all so much. Allow me to remind you on the way out, this podcast is all about DeFi. So please leave those five-star ratings and reviews where possible on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget, I happen to love the number... Five. Please consider subscribing and being an official getting overhead. Buy me a slash getting over. It's $5 a month. You get bonus audio. You get news posts from us and you contribute to the longevity of the show. $5 a month. It's a Starbucks coffee. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks to vintage Chris Vanini for joining your boy right here. The silver King, Adam Silverstein. Thank all of you for listening to this podcast. We appreciate you very much. It is time for us to sign off and for me to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.